Oh, would you look at that? There's a new episode of the Blackcast on my phone, ready to play right now. Joining me now is Jen Rowe from Diamonds and Whiskey, who have a great new song called Backcountry Voodoo. Welcome to the show, Jen. Hi, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to chat. Uh, let's uh, dive right into it and talk about just what Backcountry Voodoo is. <laughs> well, um, it's our own, you know, swampy version of country rock, if you will. Uh, it's a story about betrayal and revenge and a lot of truth with a little fantasy um yeah it's just a, a good old cheating song with a with a nice twist <laughs> <laughs> yeah because you know look i've uh, traveled around a lot and i feel like there have uh, been some uh, you know uh, roadside uh, eateries where i've stopped and been served something that tasted like what felt like backcountry voodoo you know like <laughs> so just just some some devil inside my stomach you know <laughs> but uh <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I, I, I really, I think the song is great and it has a, it has a, this turn of phrase, this lyric that I really like, which is, it's probably, you know, a recipe that we've all mixed up just the phrase, a uh, pinch of regret and shake of hate. I just, uh, it like caught me the first time and I was like, I, did I hear what I just think I did? And I'm like, Oh, I love that. Uh, talk a little bit about sort of, first of all, just uh, that turn of phrase, you know, is, is that the sort of thing, you know, I, and do, do you write the songs? Do you and other people write the songs or uh, I, I, I don't know, is this your song or did you write it with someone? Um, so I write our songs. Okay, great. Um, and the, so I'm the lead singer of Diamonds and Whiskey. Yes. And so I, I pen all of our songs. So yes, I wrote, I wrote those lyrics and I, I guess I was thinking about, you know, what would I put in a, a revenge spell, if you will. <laughs> and so, and I was angry, of course, when I was writing. Like, sure. Women well, I mean, that helps. To, uh, imagine <laughs> okay. if, if you sat down like, oh, I know I want to do this song, but you're in such a great mood, you know, I mean, <laughs> right. it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, uh, you know, it's a, you know, the, the example that I use a lot is, uh, you know, uh, when, when Billy Joel first started recording, he was super depressed and his songs are such a downer. And then he marries Christy, Christy Brinkley and he's like the happiest guy in the world. And we're like, well, I can't blame him. You know, <laughs> that's how you come up with Uptown Girl instead of Piano Man, you know? <laughs> and so I think when you're trying to, you know, capture this mood, I think it, it certainly helps to be that level of angry, but when you, so, and if you have a turn of phrase in a song that you write, is there a moment where you're like, oh, that's good. I'm going to have to give myself a high five because I'm the only one here right now. You know, do you, if you just like, when you nail something like that, are you like, 
Like, I'm not going to, I don't usually pat myself on the back, but that was pretty good. Yeah, I think I will. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've had those moments, a few of them. Uh, there's a few on the last record and, uh, and definitely this one for sure. There's a lot of great songs on this record coming out. And um, we, we chose this song first because it very much represents our sound. If I could pick a song and it's swampy, it's it's what we do. Um, and it's a cool, fun story. Nothing too, too dark and too mellow um and also not real heavy rock and roll either so we, we've got opposite ends of the spectrum on the record i feel like this was kind of in the middle yeah no it, and, and i think that the term swampy is uh is uh, is perfect you know i think it definitely has that feel so which uh which specific swamps uh do you think uh have you know led into sort of the formation of diamonds and whiskey you know in terms of I, and, and i'm just going to explain to you i have to be very careful when i say the the name of your band because alice cooper has an album called lace and whiskey from 1977 so in my head your band was called lace and whiskey and i'm like i know that's not right so i'm just <laughs> saying it now because at some point i feel like i'm gonna slip and i don't want you to take it personally <laughs> um but <laughs> i won't I'll, I'll allow it i i like lace as well um i i just happen to really like diamonds um <laughs> so well you, you know I, come on uh, if you're if, if yeah if you're if you're putting together a wish list i'm pretty sure diamonds ought to go uh before lace and honestly i'm gonna put the whiskey before the lace as well you know i think <laughs> let's be <laughs> you know <laughs> right. so uh but in terms of putting the band together you know what sort of uh i think a lot of times a sound comes from the the different geography where different members grow up from so what do you think lends itself to the sound like in terms of where you're from and maybe where other members of the band are from and uh how do you think that best exhibits itself in the music yeah, and that's exactly what happened in this band in particular. Um, so I'm a Carolina girl, uh, grew up in the country, so very much a country girl, but I love rock and roll. My guitarist, my one of my longtime guitarists that was with me when I started the band was from New Orleans. And he, uh, born and raised there, uh, and had moved to Charlotte years later, but he very much carried that swampy, rock vibe and if you go back and listen to our first record he played all the guitar on that and you can feel the new orleans come out because it's it's just dirty and gritty and um i don't know if you ever watched this show true blood but kind of like that style. sure yeah, yeah that, mm -hmm. yeah definitely mm -hmm. yeah so yeah. so kind of I, and i like to be different you know i'm not trying to sound like everybody else especially in female country for that matter and uh so i think it's kind of starting to catch on with people especially in the rock world i think they really dig it so, so i think it's new and, and different and um I, I love our swampy vibe no, I do too. And as uh, somebody who has uh, visited uh, New Orleans many times, uh, I, it, it's it's like Las Vegas, one of those places that I'm like, oh, I love to visit, but boy, could I never live there. You oh, know? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, and I, I love hearing that sound. And I, I was kind of, that was sort of what I was wondering if there, if there was any New Orleans influence in there, because it, it definitely comes through. And, uh, you know, just uh, the, uh, the, the music of, of that area is, uh, is always uh, great. And I do think that um, it's interesting that you mentioned sort of, you know, because obviously there's a very country sound, but I think that the line sort of like country and rock are not really drawn the way that they were anymore because there's definitely some some overlap in there. And I'm sort of wondering what were some of the influences on you before maybe you even started singing or writing music, just what you like to listen to, you know, what what was some of the country you liked and what was some of the rock you liked and, and you know, sort of where's the intersection uh, that you think helped the development of your style? Well, you know, growing up, 
I didn't have a TV or radio. My, my parents were uh, very religious, which was fine. Um, but I was only allowed to listen to some bluegrass and country growing up, Patsy Cline, Dolly Parton, you know, the greats, that sort of thing. So it, was, it wasn't until I was 18 or so that I really heard like true secular music, if you will, like, you know, worldly music. And so yeah, sure. <laughs> I, I discovered, um, you know, Metallica and Heart and um, Eminem, even one of my biggest influences, Tori Amos huge influence matchbox 20 is my favorite band so i i fell in love with rock and roll and um and yeah it just um i don't know it, it never really left me so while well, i feel like a, I'm very it, much a country girl i love yeah well i i can imagine growing up a country girl and then you know being 18 and and going from you know just beautiful songs you're talking about dolly parton you're talking about patsy klein literally some of the best ever and then it's a oh uh, here's something by uh, metallica it's called master of puppets let's just uh, <laughs> see what you think of that you know <laughs> uh, and you know it's just sort of like wait why is it so loud you know but uh it's interesting to hear though that i always wonder sometimes because obviously at no point when you're writing music did you probably ever think of like oh maybe something like eminem but it's always interesting to know what people like to listen to that maybe isn't you know isn't really their music you know so uh i i can see how it really you know it, it really didn't necessarily impact it but it's definitely interesting to know so if you didn't hear you know non-secular music till you're 18 did you start playing and singing i mean did you did you sing at, at, at like church events or or how did you uh, develop you know just the sort of the i guess the bug for performing yeah i um i started playing piano when i was four and um my older brother took lessons so he would i didn't get to take lessons but he would come home and play and i could play by ear as where he couldn't so he would sit down and play beethoven and by the time i was seven eight years old i could sit down and play it right after him just from listening to it and um and I loved it so much. So as I got a little older in middle school, you know, I sang in the choir and at church, I sang and played piano. And then I started playing uh, piano for all the choirs in high school and was vocally trained to sing opera. I thought that's what I wanted to do. And uh, yeah, so I had a lot of musical training when I was younger. It just happened to be more classical and, and um, you know, spiritual, that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, it, you know, the, the sort of your upbringing uh, kind of uh, in, informs one of the questions that I have for you on, on the, uh, the Diamonds and Whiskey YouTube page. There is a video for a version of Devil Went Down to Georgia that you did. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the questions that I had was uh, you, you do it in the way the, the radio edit uh, where you say son of a gun. And uh, I was like, was that a conscious effort? And, and was it as simple as like, well, I want my parents to hear this, you know, mm -hmm. I don't, I, I don't want them to say to me like, what, what did you have to say? Son of a bitch, just because Charlie Daniels did. <laughs> yes. And so I, I very much am like that. And, um, and you know, I have children too. So, you know, I think a lot about, about my mama, what my mama would want to hear. And then, and then of, of course my kids, I, I want them to be able to listen to the music. So I try to keep it, you know, as PG as possible, but then I still go a little overboard with the makeup and the drama and all that. So, um, so yeah, it's you can tell it's it's definitely a different kind of video, and I purposefully totally went yeah and with for, it on purpose for yeah. our, for our video listeners. I'm I'm showing it a little bit uh, in the screen. Uh, who is uh, playing the fiddle in the video? Is that somebody that's in the band? Is that uh, somebody extra, uh, an extra musician? Uh, talk a little bit about that. 
So that is Elena Gentry, um, one of the most amazing violinists I've ever known. She was with me for almost three years. Um, and because of COVID, uh, she kind of had to bow out for a little while. Um, but she, yeah, she is a huge influence on the band as well. Russian, uh, born and raised in Siberia. And one of wow. the most talented musicians I've ever met. And just beautiful. And the such stage presence. I can't say enough about her and I miss her right now. I feel like COVID took so much from us, um, took our tour last year and everything. And so I, I miss her so much. Um, but yeah, she's Elena Gentry. I, I can't say enough about her. She's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was just, uh, it, you know, the, the video I thought was interesting, very dark and all that. And, uh, mm -hmm. I, I also like that, you know, as you approach it, uh, the, the devil's a female. So I think that mm -hmm. that makes for an interesting dynamic, but, uh, that, that was what really stood out too, uh, was, uh, watching that. And that obviously it's a very different version. I mean, just having a female uh, sing it right there, it's going to be different, uh, right away. Um, did you approach it in any way of like, oh, I just want it to sound a little bit different, you know, like instead of like, well, it's, it's just going to be, you know, a woman singing it, but uh, there's so much more to, I think the arrangement than just that. Yeah. So I did uh, the arrangement with my friend Drew, who's a guitarist. Um, and I, I kind of wrote it out the way I wanted it. And then um, he really helped hone that in. And there's so many different parts in the song. It's so funny when different musicians come in and play with us, they think, Oh yeah, I can play Devil Went Down to Georgia not our version. It's not that easy. So <laughs> there's, there's so much. I, and part of what I love that we do or that I really try to do is, is dynamics. So when you're listening to a song, you never know when you're going to get a break or, you know, all of a sudden the drums are gone and then they're back or, you know what I mean? I, I really like to create something a little different. And I, people have really responded to that version like really well I, I was afraid of the criticism i get for it because it's charlie daniels but instead i mean everyone has has loved it so i'm very proud of it yeah no no it's great i mean i you know, i've i've certainly heard other cover versions of it before but this is the one that i think you know really took the time to kind of make it sound like your own i mean there's you know look it, it's interesting when when bands do any kind of covers but when it's like when you take it and you make it sound so much like the original, then it's like, well, why, why would I listen to this version? You know what I mean? It, it, when, <laughs> when it's like the original, it, it just sounds so much better, you know? And that's why I think, you know, people, you know, it, it's so much more common now, but like, like uh, Johnny Cash doing the Nine Inch Nails song hurt, like slowing it down that much. It's like, oh, yeah. to me, that's like, that's the, I mean, cause Look, Trent Reznor's lyrics are going to be dark and depressing no matter what. But then if you take it and you do it like an in Johnny Cash's voice that slowed down, it's like it's a completely different song. So uh, I, I think it's uh, it's always interesting sort of when you you kind of, you know, get to, to see somebody uh, put their own stamp on a song. Uh, so, uh, yeah, and I know that that's not from the new album, but I, I liked it enough. I was like, oh, I wanted to talk to you about Aww. that. But let's Appreciate talk that. about the fact that uh, there is a new album coming out blonde ambition and you know you referenced uh covid interfering with uh with touring plans uh what what is the current release plan is it something that you wanted to have come out already and uh are you hoping to be able to play some shows around the release of uh blonde ambition yeah so um you know like i said covid took our tour last year um because so we were supposed to be on the road all summer and I always try to find the silver lining in everything. And I feel like because that was taken away, we had the time to actually do this album the way I wanted to. And we've spent 10 months now working on it with tons of pro musicians, a lot of people out of Nashville and New York. And then my producer, Eddie Z, who is 
just out of this world incredible. So I, I really got to dive in and, and do this record the way I wanted to and spend the time and money on it that I wanted to. And now, yeah, we're, we're booked all summer. So I'm planning for a, a maybe a later this year release, maybe hopefully in the fall. We're going to do a few singles first and then release the whole record. Um, but yeah, we're, we're going to be on the road when that happens, but we're going to go out and pound it into everybody's <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's great. I think that, uh, you know, there's obviously so many different ways to to do releases now. And I think, yeah, putting out a few singles at a time, I think does does help because it can it it's sort of like the sustained interest. It's funny because the way that obviously, you know, growing up an album came out and then like, you know, if you were lucky, four or five singles came out over the next year or so. And, and it's sort of just doing it the other way now, because obviously the the album I'm using air quotes is not what it once was, you know, the idea. And I think that's just not necessarily the way people consume music. I personally still like to sit down with an album and, you know, uh, I actually look at it and, you know, hear the songs in order. And I'm like, well, the songs are in order for a reason, you know? And, uh, but mm -hmm. uh, I, I think that there's something to be said for just in terms of building the support. Now you're talking about uh, being able to play and that's a, uh, you know, you get, uh, as the last like year plus has gone on, I've had like a wide variety of answers. You had to have a lot of people that uh, don't have any touring plans, but in the last few months in particular, it seems like there's a lot of places that you, you can play, you know, it's like, you can, there's a lot of places in Texas and Florida you can play, you know, and even <laughs> right. I, I live in Los Angeles and, and here uh, they're, they're telling us that the Hollywood bowl is going to be open uh, for a full season uh, this fall. So uh, I'm always, uh, you know, a little, a little hesitant when I hear that. I'm like, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it, you know, <laughs> how much of that is, uh, is optimism. How much of that is a big promoter uh, wanting to take your money, you know, <laughs> and hold on to it for two years. Uh, right. But, um, so where are you getting to play? Are you touring by yourself? Or are you going out with another uh, band or anything like that? Or what, what kind of plans do you have to hit the road? Uh, yeah, so um, just uh, it's a little different out here. So South Carolina in particular has been open for a while and a lot of my friends have been playing. But but we play festivals and fairs and uh, opening gigs for larger acts. So that's kind of what we're doing. We're on the fair circuit this summer. We're doing a lot of the state fairs across the country. So we're um, everywhere from the Carolinas all the way out to Colorado, up to Wyoming, uh, Wisconsin, Iowa, uh, I don't know, Kansas, everywhere. In the yeah. Minutes, so. Yeah. No, all, all places that, uh, you know, I mean, there's, you know, the, the, the first example I ever had uh, in the last year anyway, of, of a band playing, you know, they were talking about playing, uh, you know, at like a field in Colorado and I'm like, okay, yeah, I get it. Cause like when concerts aren't happening, you know, in tiny little clubs, but like, you know, at county fairs and things like that, state fairs, that sounds like, the way to go. And, you know, it's just getting to hear live music again. I think people are so excited. And yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the geographically, geographically speaking, a lot of the places you're talking about, uh, there have been shows, there's going to continue to be shows. And right. uh, I, I think, you know, people are just so excited to be able to get to see stuff. I have, I have uh, friends that are in a, uh, a full makeup kiss tribute band and they played like in a parking lot, like two hours away, like uh, this was like two <laughs> months ago. And I'm like, Oh, I'll right. be there. You know, I'm like, I hadn't, I literally hadn't heard live music, live in, music. in more than a year. And I'm like, yeah, I will drive two hours to see your band play in a parking lot. That sounds like fun. And by the way, it was a lot of fun. You know? Oh, I'm so, sure. Well, the, yeah. the only gig we played last year was in uh, South Dakota because they stayed open, you know. And yeah. um, and we went and played. And I got to tell you, it was October. We played the State Fair. And um, I was so excited to see faces. 
like just everyone was so excited to to see each other and to see smiles and it was outside and socially distanced but you know not they weren't wearing masks and it was uh on st on stage just looking out and seeing people like happy and I, you don't realize what that does for you until you don't have it you know um and it was yeah anything. no yeah. no exactly yeah i mean um you know my my wife and I went to a went to a baseball game like two weeks ago, and we went to a Dodger game. And the the capacity is at like fifteen thousand, and you have seats all around you that are like zip tied. And I'm like, oh, this is so fun. Maybe if it just always stays like this, and all the seats around you are zip tied, so that you don't have to worry about people getting up and getting in your way and pushing <laughs> and shoving and all that. And uh, we're actually going to go to Disneyland this weekend uh, on on Sunday, and there. I don't know, 20% capacity. And I'm like, what sounds better than Disneyland with you know less than half as many right. people, you know? Like a quarter of the people are gonna be there. Uh right. and we have two small kids too. So it's like, all right, yeah, this is uh this is what uh, what we kind of want. And it's I don't know, look, it's just exciting to be able to go to things and it's and look, Disneyland says uh we want you to wear masks, Dodger Stadium says you want to wear masks uh, unless you're eating and I mean, I, you know, and I, I, and there's some, some places want people to get tested beforehand. And, and I'm like, look, whatever your rules are, just let us know ahead of time. Uh, I joked with a friend. I'm like, if, if I went to a concert and they needed to like swab my nose between every band, I would be okay with it. Like if it just meant that I got to sit there and actually watch some music, it's like, what's the trade-off? Just let us know. Don't surprise us when we get there. Just right. let us know what we're supposed to do. And I think, you know, at least what I've gone to so far in California, you always know when you're going there, you know, right. and it's, uh, I don't know. I think it's, you know, you'll, it's interesting because in sporting events, they'll sell like the all vaccinated section. So you have to, you can show this little white card that shows you've been vaccinated, oh. but everybody else doesn't have to do that. You know, it's like, just wear your mask, whatever, all that. So, uh, you know, I think that that's probably okay. what we're going to see. They'll sort of be different, different sections, maybe different levels and all that. But getting to play something like outside, like a county fair, I think, uh, or a state fair, e either way, you know, I think that's uh, that's got to be great. And uh, I think you'll get the you'll definitely get the sense for how people are responding to the music. And uh, are are you far enough along in the in the record or the album, you know, that when it, it's it's pretty much done, it'll just come out sometime later this year. Or is there any stuff where you're like, well, let's see how that plays when we do it live and anything that you are wondering if you might make any changes before it actually comes out? Uh, no, we're pretty solid in all the songs. Um, I think we're we're on production on the last song right now, but everything else has been mixed and is on its way to mastering. Um, some have already been mastered, but um, but yeah, we just work it on the very last song. But I mean, I'm very we're very confident. It's it's a it's a really cool record. I'm really proud of it. So um, yeah, just excited to drop it. But it's been a lot of work. So just one thing at a time. <laughs> Oh yeah, no, no, exactly. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's great. Uh, so, and then uh, I, yeah, there's always so many different ways to keep in touch with bands. I know you have Diamonds and Whiskey Official on Instagram. Mm -hmm. uh, where else should people go to you know, see if maybe they're playing, a, if you guys are playing a state fair near them or uh, when the album comes out, wh where's the best place to get all the information? So our website's going to have all our tour dates. That's probably the best place to go. Um, that's diamondsandwhiskeyband.com. And uh, yeah, everything should be posted there and we're adding dates as we go right now. Um, our whole summer is pretty much booked up. So we're, we're uh, moving on into October, November now. Uh, but yeah, we, um, 
we've got Facebook, obviously, Diamonds and Whiskey, and we just started a TikTok, so you can find us there, too. Um, <laughs> I'm like, oh, my gosh, there's so many social media platforms. Yeah. Like Twitter, just Diamonds Whiskey. They won't let us have the and. Uh, so, um, so, yeah, we're pretty much everywhere. Just Google. Well, and, and that must feel so great to like look at the calendar and be like, yeah, we're we're booked all summer into the fall. When you're talking about playing only only one show really last year, you know, I mean that that trade off that must just be like, oh, this is so great, you know, to to just know that you're going to be out there so much. Um, it, one sort of final question because of what you were talking about earlier, sort of growing up listening to a lot of secular music and all that. When was the first time you went to like? Uh, either either a rock concert or you know did you see Eminem live I, I'm just sort of wondering like you know having seen live music performed is so different until you go to like you know that sort of level was there something that you saw and you were, even if though you you know you're an adult once you're 18 were you still like oh wow this is a lot more than I was expecting from a concert so I actually remember this moment um I well, I hope my parents don't watch this but I <laughs> Even now, I'm scared of my dad. But I, I snuck out, and uh, yes, um, before I was 18, and went with my friends to see this band called Aerosmith. And oh, nice. I, I did not know who they were. I had no idea, no clue whatsoever. And back then, it was Verizon Amphitheater in Charlotte. But yeah, I couldn't stay forever because I had to be home, you know. But um but yeah, I went to see Aerosmith and I had never heard one of their songs. Never, I, I really was sheltered. I, I didn't know anything. And um, yeah, it changed my life. I knew as soon as I, as soon as I got out of there, I was going to be listening to rock and roll. And I think that's why <laughs> I went straight and bought the Metallica Black Album and I wore that thing out. <laughs> and like, yeah. And so, so yeah, that's where it came from. And I'll never forget that night as long as I live. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, uh, let's see, I think it was... It was the the third concert I went to was uh, Aerosmith on the on the Pump tour, so it was 1990, and uh, like two nights before, I, I saw I, I saw Kiss. These were all at the County Fair, talking about County Fairs, the Orange County Fair in in New York, uh, Orange That's County, where it New York, starts, the fairs, <laughs> yeah, and and just going and like, oh my god. And, you know, the, and the, the very first, I, I mentioned Alice Cooper earlier, the very first concert I ever went to was Alice Cooper. So when you go to like sort of these big, huge productions as your first concerts, you think that they're all going to be like that. And so then <laughs> right. when you go and see a band who does it and it's like, wait, so where's the fireworks? <laughs> nobody's getting, nobody's pretending to get, have as a fake guillotine cutting their head off. But uh, yeah, I can only imagine seeing, you know, a, a sort of a freak of nature like Steven Tyler and Joe <laughs> Perry and just like, are these are these guys even human? You know that must have uh, that must have been crazy. And uh, boy, what a what a what a great advertisement to maybe not walk the straight and narrow. I do love the fact that you uh, snuck out though to go and see it. Um, yeah, I, I was a very good girl, but but I I got talked into it, and it's so funny because I had to wear skirts to my ankles. My long hair was in a bun. Oh, sure. you know, I, oh yeah, and I, that's how I went, and um, <laughs> I got a lot of looks. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, yeah, I didn't know what this meant. You know, I'm like, I don't know what's going on. The devil holds yeah, like everywhere. Yeah, what is that? Yeah, and <laughs> and uh, you know, just uh, just the smell of spilled beer everywhere was probably like, what is that? Oh yeah, marijuana. <laughs> I was like, I, oh yeah. I, I I did wonder what it was. I had no idea. I was so oh man, I was a good goodie. But yeah, um, but that was my first brush with uh, with the devil, if you will. <laughs> so. Yeah, well, yeah, and 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 uh, you know, I, I the the devil in your your video looked differently, but uh, if there was ever a, a devil that looked like Steven Tyler, I'd be like, yeah, I believe it. 
you know, especially when he has the, the when he has like the crazy like white streak in his hair, you know, I'm like, yeah, that's uh, that's great. Well, I, I'm so glad I asked that question because <laughs> because now if your dad sees it, you're going to be like, why did I tell that story? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, well, hopefully now he won't won't take his belt off or anything. I'm all good. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Nice um, I think he's he's started to accept my my lifestyle. You know. <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. But he'll to bring it full circle. He I'm sure he appreciates that you said son of a gun and devil went down to Georgia. So you see, it's <laughs> it, it it all comes together. Well, uh, Jen has been delightful getting to know you, and I look forward to uh, hearing more new music from Blonde Ambition and. Uh, as, as she said, uh, Diamonds and Whiskey Band, I believe you said was the website. And uh, that's where you can find more about the new album and uh, any upcoming uh, tour dates. Uh, best of luck with it. Have fun out on the road and uh, looking forward to uh, hearing more music, hopefully soon, uh, sometime later this year. All right, man. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Devil bowed her head because she knew that she'd been beat. Laid that golden fiddle on the ground at Jenny's feet. Well, Jenny said, devil, just come on back if you ever want to try again. Cause I told you once, you son of a gun, I'm the best day's ever been. Uh. Fire on the mountain, run, boys, run. The devil's in the house of the rising sun. Chicken in the bread pan, picking out dough. Randy, does your dog bite? No child, no. No. Joining me now is Michael Bird, who is the drummer for a band called Limber Lost. They have a great new song out called See What You Want. Welcome to the show, Michael. Hey, what's going on, Christian? I, I have to start with, uh, I, I swear, it's a question I don't ask every band, but sometimes you can kind of piece it together. Uh, what does Limber Lost mean and how does this name come about? Well, it's a. Uh, it's mostly a, um, it comes from a legend, uh, so to speak. Uh, it's a story about a, uh, a uh, place and I think it's like Indiana or something like that. It's a swamp, uh, and there was a story of a guy named Limber Jim. And Limber Jim went on walkabout one day and got lost in the in the swamp, and uh, and then he went through a bunch of uh, you know uh, self uh, awareness kind of uh, conversations with himself, and finally decided to give up and realize that that the world uh, was not up to him. That there were higher powers at play, and. And he started to trust and uh, he walked in a straight line and got him uh, followed the light and got himself out of the swamp. So that's kind of a metaphor, kind of about our band a little bit. It's like we're always going through crap. But if we just trust each other and uh, and uh, move forward and uh, keep keep on our path and keep our goals uh, in front of us, we'll we'll make it where we want to go. So right. Exactly. Well, uh, good. I'm, I'm glad that it's something that I never would have guessed, you know, there you go. it's not, it's not one a, of those like, Oh, come on. How do you not know what that is? You know? Yeah, but, no, no. It, it's kind of, it's kind of weird. It was actually brought into the band room by our guitar because his you know, Ricky, he's from Georgia and his grandma used to scare him all by saying, you know, the, the woods out behind their house were the limber lost, you know, and then, you know, <laughs> in other words, go get your switch. I got something to show you. <laughs> and then, uh, so, Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I was going to say then the, the crystal, she has a connection to it through a story called the girl of the limber Lost, which is a pretty famous book. And, and it's about a musician and, and uh, how he dies and his daughter kind of finds her way 
through, uh, you know, in, back into music after the mom kind of makes music unavailable because it killed the dad kind of thing. So yeah. there's this overcoming story there. So it's got a lot of stories about overcoming and, you know, and so it kind of kind of speaks to us in a sense because we're a ragtag group, man. And we just kind of we kind of just keep putting one foot in front of the other and hoping that uh, we're doing the right thing. Right. And uh, reading about the band uh, on on oh. your uh, the band's website, of course, uh, which I believe is Limberlost Music. Uh, tell me if I'm yep. wrong, but uh, but yeah, well, dot com, of course. And that the band was uh, put together in, in Seattle. Are you from there or did uh, everybody you mentioned guitarist is from Georgia? So did everybody kind of converge there from other parts of the country or did are you actually from that area? Uh, well, we, uh, I'm having some weirdness here cause somebody's trying to call into me here and they don't know I'm in an interview. <laughs> so my sounds going in and out, but, um, yeah, no, um, I was originally from the area, uh, but mm -hmm. I moved to California for a while and then moved back. Um, and, uh, I ran into the guitar player. He had transplanted up from Georgia. He was, uh, oh, he was actually in a, a band uh, called finding favor, which was a fairly famous Christian band, uh, that was on the Toby Mac label and they had done some recording and stuff. And then for whatever reason, he kind of left that deal and resettled himself in Seattle. So we kind of found each other over a Craigslist ad basically. And uh, we joke about that, but uh, uh, pretty much uh, I think Brittany, uh, who's our newest, one of our newest members, been with us a little, over, a little over a couple of years. She's from uh, Arizona. Um, right, right. You know, Ben from Texas, the bass player, but everybody just kind of converged into this area and we just kind of all found each other that way. Well, well, I love the uh, the Craigslist uh, reference because if you think about it, that's like the early two thousands equivalent of you know the two, half of the members of Kiss were found through putting out a one ad, you know. Yeah, so, uh, exactly. That's that was the seventies, and then uh, Craigslist was the uh, you know can can you play? You know, let's uh, see. Right. Well, so finding yourselves in the Seattle area, you know, we were talking about the name of the band and I was thinking that obviously there are some great band names that have come out of there. Some of them are incredibly well known, but uh, some of the other good ones, uh, of course, like Mud Honey. Uh, Mother Love Bone, uh, Mookie Blaylock, which then turned into Pearl Jam. My favorite, uh, one of my favorite bands from that scene was uh, the Screaming Trees from what well, God, like 30 years ago now, which is crazy to think about. But yeah. what sort of music for that that people associate with that area? Do you feel like you were more exposed to because you're from there than than maybe it would have been if you'd grown up in say you know Southern California or somewhere like that? Well. I'm going to date myself here. I'm, I'm more of an early eighties guy. I was playing in the hair metal scene up here back in those days. Uh, you know, uh, and kind of our, kind of the only band that was really kind of cruising up here at that time was, uh, probably heart. And then, right. uh, you know, we had Steve Miller, uh, you know, and then, you know, uh, Queens, right came out, you know, in the early eighties and so forth. So it was pretty much, that was kind of more of my influence, you know, but, it, you know, it, for me, it was more, um, you know, there were other, there were other things going on, you know, like, you know, I was really into Zeppelin. I was, you know, sure. I mean, you know the stuff of the, the stuff of the time, Van Halen, oh my God, that blew us away. You know, I mean, when that came out, you know, uh, but I'm a tower of power guy. I love James Brown. You know, I'm, I'm pretty eclectic, you know, when it comes to my music influences, but we are a wide range, I guess, as I was going to say, of, of age groups. So there's different decades that are very influential to within the band, you know, um, you know, there's, there's people that kind of grew up in the, you know, the 2000s, you know, and, and it's kind of funny when you ask who their favorite guitar player is or who this is, you know, it's like everybody kind of skips what's, what was before them. So, you know, we all have different influences, uh, you know, from, from 
from a genre standpoint, but uh, we definitely have a lot in common, though, too. I mean, that's what's really interesting about the group is we all tend to love certain groups and certain styles of music and, and so yeah. forth. So, but it's, it's yeah, it, it's a wide range of influences. But from the Seattle area, I didn't have a lot because I didn't grow up during the grunge era. You know, right. I mean, yeah. I was I was off chasing a family and a career, you know, when all that crap was happening. So uh, <laughs> so I didn't really get into that. But I mean, it's you know, uh, you've got Soundgarden, you got uh, Alice in Change, you got sure. uh, like you were saying, Pearl Jam, Mud Money. You know, I mean, there's some there's some great groups that came out of here in the early, uh, you know, uh, you know, early late 90s, early 2000s, Nirvana, you know. Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. No, no. I mean, there's the 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 ones that uh, all had that level of success, and then the ones that uh, you know you would have you would have had to actually you know read the order form from Sub Pop Records that came with your Nirvana album and be like, well, I yeah. want to hear you know I want to hear the Love Battery Let album, the Fluid album, and and all that you know. So, uh, yeah, and you know, it's interesting that you mentioned Heart because I was going to bring up the fact that uh, Heart, of course, is from that area because you do have a, a female vocalist, and I think that musically the the sound isn't the same. But uh, you know, I mean, I think uh, you know Anne and Nancy Wilson just sort of really, uh, you know, and they were obviously not the first female singers in any genre of rock and roll, but uh, to have sort of the success that they had. Uh, you know, and uh, obviously from other parts of the country, the the women that had been in the Runaways, you know, Lita Ford and Joan Jett, but to to really sort of build that foundation, uh, I think it's not so. It's still unusual, like you know, when you hear like a song like "Oh, there's a there's a woman singing," you know, you'll you might do a double take if you know you don't you know you're just listening on. I was going to say the radio, but then again, you know, we're talking about being old, but you know like a, like a random Spotify playlist where they're choosing music for you. And it's a, you know, uh, talk a little bit about sort of the, what that gives in terms of a unique sound, having a female singer. And then I also think on top of that, the band has a very full sound and, and to me just enjoying music, not being musically inclined at all. I think having keyboards is, is just sort of, you know, something that adds a, a whole level to yeah. it. So talk about kind of developing the band's sound uh, over the time. That, well, uh, yeah, it, together. you know, we ran into crystal, uh, you know, a little, little known fact, but you know, for those that get to know us, uh, crystal and Ricky and myself were all part of a worship team. Um, so I, my wife and I had attended a church and I saw this little girl with curly hair bounce out and, with an acoustic guitar and started singing and, you know, I nudged over to my wife and, um, and I go, that's my new lead singer. So it was kind of funny because, <laughs> you know, uh, about a month or so later I was on the worship team with her. And then I got talked to Ricky and he, you know, and, uh, he was looking, him and his family were looking for a new place to land for church. So they canned up. So about a year later, we're kind of on the, this team of the four, there was a bass player, the original bass player, Daniel at the time. And so we were working the worship team. And then on our off weeks, we were developing what would become Limberloft. We were writing our own music and, and doing our thing. So we were playing a lot together. Um, and then uh, the band kind of broke up, actually. Uh, we just decided it wasn't, you know, we were playing, we were kind of leaderless at the time. Um, nobody, you know, because we were all kind of worship leaders. We we're all kind of leader types. It was like, you know, nobody wanted to let anybody else lead. So it just kind of, there was just no direction to the what the project was going to do. And so we kind of decided to split up. But before we split up, we decided to go in and record one of our songs. It was the first song we had that we had written called Thin Clouds. We thought, oh, that's a good song. We need, we got to record this. So we went in and did that. And then out of that recording session, it got released to some of the local 
stations around here and stuff by some, you know, by our engineer and a couple other people. And all of a sudden there was like this notoriety thing that started happening. We're thinking, oh, hey, you, you, who's these guys? And so we ended up just kind of jumping on back together as a band and going for it. And our bass player immediately quit. Uh, and <laughs> of course. Said, I can't, I can't focus on this. This is too much, you know, cause he was, you know, he was in charge of everything at church. You know, he was the, you know, I used to tell everybody he was the pastor's wet dream. I mean, he, he was in charge of every <laughs> single, you know, squad basically. And so sure. he couldn't, he couldn't maintain the aggression that we were going to have to put into the band. So we just started recording our songs and we got about three or four into it. And then an opportunity came up to play live and we needed an actual full-time bass player. And that's when we went out and recruited Ben. Um, and, uh, so that was kind of the crux. We were a four piece for a little while there, but we brought in a keyboard player a couple of times cause we had a couple songs that, you know, needed some piano to them and stuff like that. So we had some guest keyboardists and then a little known, another little known fact is our very first keyboard player that ever played live with us was our current keyboard player, Tony. Uh, he came and played once with us at a show and I think he actually played two different shows with us over time, but we never actually recruited him. Uh, we ended up with a couple others. Um, we went in the studio with uh, a gal named uh, Clarissa, and then we ended up with Ray, uh, Raymond Hayden, on our first album. And then uh, we decided, and then we added a, then we added the other singer. So the other thing is, is that we don't have just one female vocalist. We have two. Right. Right. Um, and, 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 and I believe her name's Brittany, right? Brittany, yeah. And Brittany yeah. is a world-class singer in and of herself. She's right. classically trained. She's toured Europe as an opera singer. She actually teaches music. She's got a master or a bachelor's degree, I believe, in music uh, from uh, from the University of Arizona. And uh, so, I mean, she, she in all in all rights is is just a, a heck of a singer, just to know of, her, of herself. And and I have to give her props because she totally supports Crystal as the lead uh, in this band. But she brings a very interesting dynamic to our writing, uh, to our sound. Um, they're just capable. Their 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 voices are so similar in in so, so many ways. It's a beautiful blend. It really blends well. But they also are very unique in their own ways too. So um, yeah, so I mean, yeah, the, listening to the operating room. <laughs> yeah, listening to the 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 newer songs, uh, particularly "See What You Want," the the newest song that's out there. Uh, I think that both of their voices complement each other well. Yeah. And yeah, having the the two female lead singers, obviously, then that circles back to the comparisons of heart. You know, the interesting thing you were talking about, though, you mentioned the song "Thin Clouds," and as I was you know putting my notes together, uh, I listened to the new song a lot. But I I went to the website and I was listening to some other ones, and that one uh, really stood out for me. "Thin Clouds," I. I I thought uh, lyrically, uh, I, I was interested in in what she was singing, but also uh, I found it to be very catchy. Talk a little bit about the 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 writing, writing the music for this band, and then uh, lyrics. If it's collaborative well, or or you know who yes, who it, really it's does very what? Cooperative. We have, there's actually three at this point. We've had we have three lyricists in the band. I write uh, music. I write some of the songs. I actually wrote uh, the lyrics for "See What You Want" and "Thin Clouds." Uh, Crystal helped me with. Um, um, uh, getting the last piece of Thin Clouds put together because that was a song Ricky and I had written uh, prior to her joining the band. So that was the first song we actually wrote and first song we recorded. Uh, she helped me kind of tie it off with uh, with a couple loose ends that I had in it. And then, uh, but you know, Crystal writes a lot of the songs. She's written uh, Refiner. She brought that into the room. She wrote, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, Hands Up. She wrote uh, Long Shadows. Um, the current new, one of our newest ones, uh, or two of our newest ones actually that are doing really well out there, which is real thing and uh, good fight. We're both uh, hers. 
Uh, but then Britney came along, and there's two two new songs on on her new album that haven't been released yet that she actually wrote. Um, so um, so yeah, it's it's you know, and what we tend to do is we bring them in, and, and sometimes it's a, a just a riff that Ricky has, and we build off of it. Um, I think uh, you know, I want to say Long Shadows and Hands Up were built built that way, where we were just jamming a riff, and Crystal started coming up with some melodies and stuff, and we just developed it, developed them in the songs. Uh, you know, like see what you want. I kind of finished that in my head and before I brought it into the band room. So it was kind of a complete song. Crystal did the same thing with the real thing, pretty much kind of brought it in. And then we just kind of tinker with it. Everybody tugs at it, pulls at it, puts their own flavor into the parts. Anthony, the, you talked about keyboards. One of the one of the best keyboard players in the area up here. I, I can't. He, he's probably one of the most talented people in our band. I mean, he is just an insane keyboard player. <laughs> and um uh, and he'll he'll dig at things and stuff and just you know come up with some really cool flavors and and stuff uh, to put in there. So yeah, it's it's really fun watching a song come to life within the band because it just takes on all these different levels as it grows. And we typically don't write songs to record them initially. We write them to perform them, and right. then we go out and perform them. Like we got a brand new one that um, that we're going to debut at a show here in a couple of weeks, and you know we're going to go out and play that thing for a while and then we'll probably go in and start recording it here in a month or two and you know and start putting it together but we'll develop it with some with some consumer feedback at the same time you know so well yeah and i think that uh, obviously i can imagine for a band like getting to actually perform a song live together repeatedly you sort mm-hmm. of get a feel for you know whereas if you initially write to the studio you're going to probably end up you know i think this happens with a lot of bands you know where the studio version of something is like oh that's not that's not the way i tend to think of that song i mean <laughs> uh you know it's uh, the the ultimate all-time example is if you if anybody who ever hears the studio version of cheap tricks. I want you to want me the original album cut. You're like, well, that's not what that song sounds like because everybody thinks of the live one, you know, there's stuff that comes alive, kiss alive, these live albums from the seventies. You're like, well, no, the song sounds different. It's not just like the song with people cheering at it in the background. You know, it's like it develops in a different way. So I can see that that would actually be so much better for just the way that the band feels about the song. And you mentioned about playing it live. That was sort of what I wanted to ask you because, you know, we're at a very interesting point here and in, as we almost hit the middle of 2021 where uh you know uh, a, a few months ago I, I i don't know what i was able to really do outside but then over the weekend i i took my whole family to disneyland you know and <laughs> i've got i've got a I, i've got a, a a weezer and green day concert at dodger stadium uh on in early september and i'm like that's 55,000 people but it, it's they tell me it's happening so uh, what, how are things in terms of, uh, of gigs up in, in Washington state and, and the surrounding area? Are you getting to out there to play the material? Have you been playing for a little while or is this, is this new to get back out there and playing in front of people? Well, we, we walked into the, this whole pandemic, you know, I mean, it was, it was kind of a, kind of a weird deal because we had a plan last year. We had a tour, you know, cross country tour set up. Uh, we had, you know, we were going to play at the uh, International Singer-Songwriter Association Awards uh, Ceremony in Atlanta. And then we were going to basically tour our way back across the country. We had a bunch of, you know, dates set up and it was looking really good. And then all of a sudden this pandemic hit. But at the same time, we were finishing the album. Uh, we're working with Timothy Eaton, our producer, on another song that hasn't been released yet. Um, so all this stuff was happening. And all of a sudden, boom, everything started to shut off. In fact, it shut off right before we were able to finish the real thing, which was our 
our uh, last release we put out off, off this new album coming up and it um we had to actually take all the gear over to crystal's house and she recorded her vocal in her closet in her, in her clothes closet uh with while facetiming our engineer <laughs> and uh and so we could get that and then Brittany and i you know braved the COVID and went into the studio and took separate turns and did all the background harmonies and stuff like that and crystal actually never heard any of the backgrounds until we actually had the song done so, you know, because we were in the process of going, so, you know, COVID threw us some curveballs, but we just sure. adapted to it. Uh, and my, my uh, process as a band leader, I, you know, really sat down and started looking at all these things that we were going to start to miss out on and all these things we'd worked for. And I was like, you know, I have to, I have to have a, uh, I have to have a, a, you know, a plan here, or I have to have a, um, what do you call it? A mantra or a vision. A statement so to speak and mine was basically you know sooner or later this is going to open up and when it opens up the doors are going to open and the big wave wave is going to rush through and everybody you know it's going to be everybody's going to want to get back on board right and i said so my our deal is is we're going to be on riding that wave when the door opens not paddling for it so we kept working we put out a video right. we finished our album uh we actually did get out and play uh there were places around the country that would allow us to come play so we did. We got in our truck and we drove and played Salt Lake City. We drove and played Idaho. We went out. We drove all the way to Denver and played Denver. Um, you know, this is all during the pandemic last year, last summer. Uh, as long as it was safe and it was allowed, we went out and did it. When most people had hung it up and decided, nope, we got to sit over here and, 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 you know, be told what to do or how to feel about it. We just said, screw it. We're going to go do it. Um, and so coming into this year, we were pretty well prepared. Uh, we, we knew that eventually it was going to go up. So we just kept, we kept planning our, our future as if it, if it was going to be wide open because you can always pull back, but you, it's hard sure, to, yeah. to kickstart something when you don't, when you have no momentum. So we kept the mental and uh, physical momentum going as much as possible. So to your, to your question, it sucks up here in Seattle right now because there's really no place to play. And it's, yeah. you know, we're one of the last states that are going to get their act together as far as opening up, even though things aren't that bad up here. Um, but um, we do have a couple shows coming up locally that we've been able to, you know, keep on the table and stuff. So we're going to do those. But most of our plane has been out of state and our whole tour that we have set up for this summer pretty much leaves Washington state and doesn't even touch the West Coast. You know, um, I had a buddy of mine look at it and he goes, I, he was looking at our tour around. He goes, this looks like the screw you West Coast tour. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's uh, it, it's funny that you say that because uh, earlier this week, uh, Alice Cooper, uh, one of my favorite performers, announced a tour. He and Ace Freely, they're playing all over the country except for the West Coast. No California. Exactly. Uh, and he lives, he, you know, he lives in Arizona and, and it's like, you know, but there's no, there's no Oregon, no Washington. I mean, California is good for like six dates. If you, if you tour, you know, significantly enough and uh, yeah. And it's just like, but then in the same week, it's like, yeah, but you can, you know, there, there, a friend of mine told me that the, he's going to, I think the, the black crows are playing like an indoor venue, the forum here in LA. And yeah. so I understand your, you know, your amphitheaters and, and even like stadiums and things that are open air, but I'm like, well, well you're there, but I guess just because they sell you tickets doesn't mean it's really going to happen now. Does it, you know? No, we've been, <laughs> so, my wife, 
my wife and I have been sitting on Matchbox 21 front row center tickets for two years now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and, and it's always like, well, you know, you could return them and get a refund. I was like, well, no, because eventually that concert's going to happen and yeah. I want to have them. And yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, I think that's kind of the interesting thing. I mean, I think, uh, California is a little bit more open than those of us who live here expected it to be, but people routing tours weren't expecting it either. You know, so that's, that's why you're, you're seeing like, yeah, just like, you know, I mean, you want to talk about a state you can, you can do six to eight dates for, uh, you could go to Texas. There's yeah. plenty of places to play in Texas. Yeah, you know? we're, And so. we're touring, we're, we're touring Texas in, yeah. in October. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. Maybe. And, and like, uh, I, I think it already happened, but I remember hearing Sammy Hagar planned a, a tour of Florida. You know, right. that like it was like, well, yeah, you, you might as well. You, you play where you can. And uh, I think it's interesting because you have you have some pretty high profile tours that are like, you know what, we're going to wait till next year. And then sure. others just sort of change the routing. So uh, it's great that you're able to get out. Uh, but uh, the fact that you, you have to, you know, <laughs> travel so far away to do it. Uh, but it, at least there's the options. And, you know, you were talking about getting to play last year over the summer. And some of the musicians that I talked to that were playing, I feel like that, you know, the crowds must have been so glad to be out and doing something oh, that, yeah. uh, you know, just, it, it must've been no pun intended, you know, just more, more electric than that setting would have been if you played the exact same day, two was, years earlier, you know, it was, it was more personal. There was more connection yeah. because, you know, it's like you, you know, I think in those situations when you're looking down the barrel and you don't see, you know, the, uh, many opportunities, and, you know, as either a fan or a musician that you kind of cherish that that moment a little more, you know, because it's like, wow, this is I mean, I looked at Herman's Hideaway in Denver, which is one of the clubs we went and played back there. And I look back at their calendar and we were about it for, you know, like three weeks in one side and four weeks on the other side. We were the only show that came into that room. Oh, you know? wow. Yeah. You know, and um, and it was like, I, now I know why the, you know, the, but you know, the, the capital you build and the equity you build with the promoters and the club owners and stuff like that, where when I said, Hey, I want to come back through, it's like, yeah, absolutely. Name your day. You know, where it took me yeah. two years fighting with that guy to get in there to begin with, because we were <laughs> nobody to them. Right. Sure. You know, it's the same thing with Sturgis. We got a whole week. We're playing the whole week at the knuckle, which is right on the main town and during bike week, you know, we're there every day, uh, you know, oh, and it's, but you know, three years, I couldn't get anybody to, freaking call me back you know but because we reached out and were willing and able you know a couple places were like really touched by that that we would come out in the pandemic and and save their ass you know so it even though we didn't get a gig last year at all you know because they didn't have any availabilities i had two clubs reach back out to me you know this year and we were able to secure you know a great a great show you know well, that, yeah and a whole and week that's and, you know. Yeah, that's got to be great. And so you're, you know, you're talking about sort of heading towards getting a, an album out. Uh, and, yep. and, you know, there's a bunch of singles out uh, already that have come out over, I, I don't know, the last year or so. Yep. Uh, is there is there a firm like, oh, the album's going to come out in this month later in the year? Or is it more like, eh, we'll see how it goes. And uh, maybe by the end of the year, it'll come Well, out. I'm glad you asked. Um <laughs> No, actually, it's very well planned out. We're with Von Artists out here on the West Coast, and they're out of the uh, Portland and uh, Tokyo. That's our distribution label. Uh, so we've actually put together. We also work with Paul Crosby, who's the drummer for Saliva. Uh, so we've put together some um, a, a really good plan on this. So actually, the first day we go out on tour is the day the album drops. So we are actually touring that album. It's an oh, actual perfect. release the album and tour the album. Um, 
And so we're doing a whole shebang around that uh, promo and, you know, some of the singles like see what you want. Uh, you know, we'll be pre pro promoing them over the next couple of months. Um, August 6th is the date. Uh, that's the date we open up for tantric in, uh, in Idaho. Um, and then, uh, and then we'll be on tour for a little over two weeks after that. Then we've got a couple breaks back here and then we go back out again, like I said, to Texas and so forth. Uh, but we're also working on brick and mortar type stuff. We've got, uh, as we're doing this, our label's also putting us in record stores and radio spots along the way. So, uh, we'll maybe be doing some meet and greets, hopefully in some of these towns at some, you know, at some, you know, rec- you know, record stores in the right, you know, markets that still have that kind of stuff. Um, so, you know, just trying to put, you know, we're, we're trying to do something more than the Facebook release. You know, this is what everybody does. They throw the crap up on Facebook, sponsor an ad, and then sit back and wait for everybody to tell them it's cool. And then they forget about it three months later and it's on to the next thing. We don't, we don't want to do that. We want to, we want to grow this album and let it get out to as many people as possible. And, and, and hopefully we'll, uh, you know, hopefully we'll sell some too. <laughs> well, yeah. And obviously the, you know, the, the, the goal is to get it out there and to grow it. And I think that uh, through no fault of a, a lot of these bands, I mean, the music industry being what it is, a lot of these labels, they're really just all geared towards like, yeah, yeah, we're going to, we're going to spend a little money on all the pre-orders and, you know, you'll have a band like Judas Priest has their first ever debut number one the week it comes out because all their fans bought the, the pre-release, you know, and then on week two, it, it still charts, but uh, by the third or fourth week, it's like, you know, the, the numbers being sold are so much lower and, you know, and that's a, a huge international band, you know, that, right. that, that doesn't have that. So being a, a young uh, up and coming newer band, the idea that, you know, you could just kind of sit back is, is uh, well, it seems like a missed opportunity. So it's great to hear that you're out there playing it and trying to, you know, if you're going to be out there, you know, the, the sort of the old model of like, well, you could do some local radio, you could go to the, 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 the local record store. I mean, at least bigger cities all have at least the one really good record store, you know? Right. And, yeah. uh, I think that uh, it's it's great to you know hear that you guys are willing to go out there and and push for it and you know le- you know getting to do interviews like this I hear a lot of songs that I I don't think I would have heard otherwise and uh, you know I I hear the the song that uh, you guys are promoting right now uh, and the uh, of course you know some of the other ones as well uh, see what you want obviously being the new one I, and and it's just like oh yeah I I I I don't know where people will hear it. So making sure that, uh, you know, if you're, if you're in that record store, if, uh, if somebody's going to be going out to the show and here's the other thing about going to live music that I was thinking when you were talking about it, if you're opening for somebody, people are probably going to come on time for the opener these days because it's mm-hmm. like, God, I haven't been to a concert in a, in like 14 months. You know, right. what, what, what am I, do I, do I, do I want to drink beers in the parking lot? You know, I mean, I should uh, really check it out. Uh, so no, I'm glad to hear, uh, you know, how dedicated everybody is towards, uh, you know, really just trying to reach people. And yes, of course you would love to sell them, but, uh, to, to make people aware of it, I think is, is such an uphill battle. Uh, and of course the good, the, 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 the sort of the other side of that is 
that at least, you know, the interaction, the engagement with, with fans is so much better than it used to be. You know, I, I, I referenced, you know, the, the Alice Cooper going on tour. Well, that I got, I got that email directly to me. I, you know, you didn't have to look through, you know, the, your, your weekly you know, growing up in New York, you know, looking at the village voice and like, Oh my God, look who's on tour, you know? So you can always let people know all they have to do is like follow you on, on some platform or sign up for right. an email list. And uh, I think that, you know, for the many disadvantages of that, the, the people who really like you being able to kind of keep them informed, uh, seems like it would be an advantage. And I'm sorry, I think you were about to say something and I, I went off on that. Well, no, I was, you know, you, you brought up being able to do the interviews and so forth. And I think that's really, really important. Um, you know, uh, we, you know, we've been at this a little while building this brand of ours, um, you know, for, you know, we're going into our fifth year now, which is still pretty young for a band that's, I think, reached as far as we have. But, um, but we spend a lot of time developing relationships with people like yourself, you know, getting, you know, not just doing an interview, but then also, you know, getting, you know, getting to know that and supporting what you do as much as you're supporting what we do. Um, and some of those things are starting to come to life now for us. You know, I have a DJ in Detroit who's trying to put us on a, he's trying to find, you know, not finance, but he's trying to put together the stuff that needs to, to get us out there and actually do maybe a three or four date swing with like pop evil or somebody, you know, and, and uh, you know, and then this show we're doing in Wyoming, I, I, I love that there's a guy, you know, there's a DJ out there that we've been on his show a few times and it's an internet radio deal and he's doing his thing and and uh he just really loves the band and when i told him we were coming through the area he goes oh man you got to do a show here so they found a venue they got sponsors they're rolling out the red carpet but they've already done a radio ad sounds like monster truck ad kind of thing <laughs> yeah <laughs> the, the great, the, it's the concert of the summer Limberloss, you know and it, yeah <laughs> you know and and i'm just like you know those are all from those you know those that started with those little submitting a song to a radio or submitting a for an interview yeah. and and all the things and new, these these relationships build upon themselves i've got a guy over in the uk right now just send me a bunch of links because they want to get us over there and do some festival tour you know kind of stuff and he's sending me links to all these people and you know i'm like those things don't just happen. They don't just fall in your lap. It's, it's, it's time spent developing in, intentional relationships and being, being mutually beneficial to each other in the industry. You know, I mean, you know, that's, I think that's really important because there's so much out there now there, with the internet that, you know, it's hard not to just get caught up in the wash, you know? Yeah, right. Exactly. And, and, uh, you know, the, the difference of course, being that, uh, 30 years ago, if you were going to play in Europe, you would have to, you know, be on like a huge label who really right. wanted to support the band. And, uh, it's great to hear sort of that, 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 that networking that works in, you know, any other industry, uh, being so much more important. Uh, you know, one of the things I, I wanted to circle back before we wrap up, because you were talking about how, uh, Ricky, uh, had previously, I think it was, you said it was Ricky had previously played. In a, in a Christian rock band and the fact that the band was kind of put together in church, was there ever a moment where there was a thought of possibly, you know, going the Christian rock route? Uh, what, what was there an incarnation where maybe some of the music uh, had that tone or, I mean, somebody who like has only casually heard some Christian rock. A lot of times, if you listen to the lyrics, it's like, okay, they're either singing about a boyfriend or girlfriend or they're singing about Jesus. You know, I mean, right. it's a lot of similar emotions that you're singing about. You know, it wasn't that that big of a leap for Creed to go over to uh, mainstream, you know? Right. Well, you know, uh, 
it's a great question because when I was in, I was in a worship team down in Temecula, California. That's kind of where I got back into music. And I was working with some, you know, pretty stout guys because they, you know, down, down in the LA area, you know, there's a lot of musicians and it's kind of like Nashville. Everybody's awesome, <laughs> you know, and, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, true. and I was playing with this guitar player slash bass player. Uh, and his, he is the uncle of Sonny from POD. And um, so I got exposed to that whole concept of crossover and all that, because they were originally a, you know, a Christian rock. Yeah, band. sure. Yeah. And then Switchfoot was the same thing. And so that all developed out of that same area. And uh, so when I moved up here, I always had this idea that, you know, I love doing the, the Christian music. I love doing the worship music. I, I really enjoyed that, but it was a different kind of deal. You know, that was for, that was for church. It was for a purpose. But what I always found was interesting is, is that, you know, good music is good music, you know, yeah. and, you can play that for anybody. And, and if and it's even better when you have like a, a song that's maybe got a message in it or something like that. And if it's written, if a well-written song, the listener puts the meaning to it. Okay. Yeah. I believe that. I believe that, you know, if, if I'm telling you what to think, then I'm not, you know, I'm not letting you own the song. You know, if, if, if when I'm done with the song and the first time you hear it, you can claim ownership of it. Then I think I did my job, you know, as a songwriter. And, um, so we started writing these songs and started, you know, it was like the idea is like, we didn't want to pigeonhole ourselves. I have a good friend of mine named Ron Reinhardt and he's the lead singer of a, a thrash metal band called dark angel, really big band. They sure. Yeah. All over the world. Yeah. You know, there. he's like yeah. my neighbor and he, and he, we actually go to church together and stuff. And, and you wouldn't, you know, you'd look at Ron and you look at what he sings and where he's from and all that. And you'd be going, there's no way that guy's a Christian, you know, Yeah. <laughs> but you know, but he is, you know, and, and, we were talking one time and him and I were doing an interview uh, up here with uh, another, another uh, outfit, another podcast. And, and he was talking, he goes, well, why does it have to be called Christian rock? He goes, we don't call it heathen rock. We don't call it <laughs> devil. You know I mean? It's like, there's no label on it. You know, it's just, he goes, I wouldn't, you know, cause he had a Christian rock band called oil uh, for a while. And uh, you know, he goes, but I never pigeonholed myself because now it means if you call it Christian rock, then that means it's only for Christians. Yeah. You know? yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> you know, and it's like, so why label yourself that way? So when people ask us, are you a Christian rock band? They say, well, you know, some of our earlier songs took that tone on because we, you know, we were writing from that place. There was four, three or four of us and we were all serving as a worship team. But, you know, now we're just a band that has some a rock band, but we have that has some Christians in it. You know, I mean, because we also have a pagan, you know, we also have a, you know, an agnostic. We, all, <laughs> yeah. you know, we, all, you know, we, we aren't we aren't, you know, this isn't about religion. It's like, you know, it's like politics. It's not, you know, none of that matters in our group. We're about music and then, you know, serving the song. And, um, and if we can make people happy, that's what, it, you know, with our, with our music, then that's what matters to us. And if there's a message in there that you take on, you know, when I wrote the song Babylon, if I told you where I was when I wrote that song and what I was thinking, you wouldn't even see it the same way, probably, you know, but I've had people come up to me that have a totally opposite viewpoint of what they think I was thinking when I wrote that song, yeah. you know, but it makes them happy and they, and they own it, you know? So I just keep my mouth shut. It's like, nah, you know, I had, a, I was, you know, I know why I wrote the song, but what do you think about it? You know? Yeah. Uh, er earlier this year, I uh, was uh, lucky enough to get a chance to interview uh, Don McLean because American Pie, I guess, uh, turned 50. And I said to him that I'm like, I appreciate the fact that you don't tell people what it meant to you when you wrote it, because right. then you're taking away from them what it might mean to them. And especially a song as iconic that's been around as long as that, you know, everybody takes away what they want. 
you know, the song to mean. And, uh, you know, I think that, uh, you know, for artists who have like, you know, there's, there's the song that's like, uh, you know, I mentioned the black crows before she talks to angels is about a very specific woman that Chris Robinson knew. You have an occasional song. It's like, well, this is about that. I like when you don't tell us what it's all about, you know, it's like, well, right. yeah, what does it mean to you? Then that's what it means. And that was like sort of one of the more infuriating things about the advent of the music video, because suddenly that's what the song was about. Like what happened right. in that video. And it's like, well, it's not about that at all. If you just listen to it, you know? Right. So I think it's, uh, it's great to leave it open-ended. And if somebody comes from a place of faith and they feel like that's what, you know, any given song is about, well, that's great for them. But if somebody else, you know, see what you want, they, they can see what they want in that song. So it kind of works out yeah. perfectly, you know? Well, uh, Michael, I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, chat with me. Uh, Limber Lost is the band Limber Lost music. And you mentioned you've got uh, some dates coming up, not out here on the West coast, but there are 40, well, I'm going to assume you're not going to Alaska or Hawaii either. So there's no, 45 no, other yet, states. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but if somebody emails you and, and they can set up a gig, you know, in, in Fairbanks, Alaska, why not? You know, Hey, you, want you know, I, I, I've been to, I've been to several cities in Alaska. And in fact, my keyboard player, Tony, he actually started his music career up there in the uh, well, bars yeah. of Alaska. Yeah, and, and you want to ombre to play up there. Yeah. Well, yeah. But I, I think that uh, on the, on the one hand, if you, if you, if you got it all together and, and the band is, is tight and sounding good, I think that they would be very appreciative of like, look, they're, they're here, you know? Right. <laughs> and uh, there's always a level of that, but uh, so, yeah. So throughout some of the other 45 States and uh, you know, hopefully, you know, you, you mentioned there's some gaps in the schedule. So maybe as, uh, as, as the, the world sort of reawakens a little bit more, maybe you can plug in some other stuff and uh, just go to limberlostmusic.com uh, for all of that. And uh, you said August uh, 6th, is that the August album 6th. release date? Yep. And uh, what's the, I, think, I meant to ask, what's the name of the new album? It's, uh, it's actually named after the title track, the, the video we just put out, um, uh, produced by Timothy Eaton. It's called, uh, the, uh, it's called Good Fight. Uh, we just put out. It's a. It's a. It's kind of our swan, uh, a swan song kind of deal. It's a six and a half minute uh, deal. We just put out a uh, video to it. That's. Uh, it's gotten. You know, been nominated for several awards. It's got. It's won a few awards. Uh, great tune. Uh, Crystal wrote that song. Um, it's one of those where you'll watch the video, and and I can guarantee you one thing: you'll watch the video, and whatever you think the song's about, it plays to that video. And it's what we were feeling at the time we made the video, but that is not why the song was written. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, it's uh, so the album is called Good Fight. Um, it's got an it's an it's a very interesting. If you've listened to our volume one, if you go through volume one, and that is an anthology of songs we just kind of wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote, sure. and we were kind of going down a certain vein. Uh, this song, this album is very different. It's got some covers on it. It's got two covers on it um we've already released jolene uh that was released last year um and it's also got uh, a couple rocks songs you've got see what you want on there um and then we've got a song we wrote that was a collaboration uh with a late songwriter uh, wayne perry he wrote indian outlaw for uh, tim mcgraw his son actually sent us a song and we uh redid it pretty much um and turned it from a country song kind of into a rock, dark rock song. That's called Setting Sun. So that's an was a departure for us. Uh, we've got a duet on there that nobody's heard yet. It's a piano duet with the two girls, which will be nice. kind of an interesting departure, a little little treat. Um, and then we did another. We've done two songs with Timothy. Timothy, and we've done another song um, that is a pretender song that we uh, we redid with him. 
that's got some special task behind it that I won't be able to talk about for a while yet. But uh, <laughs> and then we've got our, we've got our stranglehold. Brittany wrote a song called uh, "In the Garden." We recorded it live in the studio on one take, no click, and it was so magical. We just kept it, and uh, and it's got a three and a half minute, uh, you know, Ted Nugent style jam at the end of it. Uh, oh, awesome! <laughs> it, so yeah, it's just a hodgepodge of who we became over those last couple of years, and we're really excited about it because I think it's really going to take people on a journey. You asked me earlier a question about musical influence, and I, I tell people, I said, if you wanted to pigeonhole us, a lot of people like to say, well, it's like heart because you got the two girls. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Seattle. Um, I would put us more in the vein of being more Fleetwood Mac-ish um, just because there were a lot of different songwriters that contributed to that, what they were. And yeah. I'm not saying we sound anything like them or write anything no. like them. I'm just saying it's more of that approach. Um, yeah. And hopefully you don't all hate each other because, uh, no, that... no, See, that's, that's the cool thing. You know, it's like, you know, it's, uh, we're not, we're not looking for our escape hatches or anything like that. We're, we're, you know, we're very family oriented and, uh, we are excited about what we're doing in our future. And we're just, we're, we're super stoked that people like yourself will take time to, to recognize us and, and talk to us and, and help us get the word out because, uh, we think we we're having a good time and we think we got something special and we'd like to share, continue to share it with the world. Yeah. And I'm uh, happy to be able to share it here. And, uh, obviously as the uh, album comes out and there's more songs, uh, always happy to do more. And, uh, when you do end up playing on the West coast, I will, uh, you know, be looking for those, uh, email updates, uh, that I oh, yeah. earlier, <laughs> uh, limber lost music though, for everybody who wants to find out more, uh, and August 6th. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Mike. I do really appreciate you, uh, not just taking the time but being so generous with your time and, uh, hopefully uh, we get to catch up a little bit, uh, down the road. Uh, that's all the time we have for now. Thank you to, uh, to Mike. And, uh, of course we will see you next time on the black cast. Free